This is Pete Moore. I want to tell you about a company that is going to change the entire recruiting in the Halo sector. The company's called GamePlan. We are GamePlan.com. What they do is they connect employer brands with D1, D2, D3 athletes across the country. They power the software that allows these employers to get in front of tens of thousands of athletes. If you watch the NCAA tournament, the hustle, grit, preparation, determination, and absolute desire to win embodies every athlete out there. Now you're gonna be able to put your brand in front of those athletes, start to get them to understand after their college career, they can get into the halo sector, or work at a studio, a health club, fitness equipment company, supplements, anything related to this industry, they can now parlay those skills and bring it into the sports and fitness industry that we are going to have the best athletes become the best employees and create the best companies. And that is the future of Halo. One, two, three, Halo. We are gameplan.com. Check it out. This is Pete Moore, Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of bringing the Sweatworks, Mo, from Jersey by way of Long Island, now placed in Arlington, changing the connected fitness industry for good, which we need you to be staying in the Halo sector. So we are doing this out of the Boutique Fitness Solutions Summit. Mo, welcome finally to the show. Peter, I've been waiting for this for a while. It's been a long time coming, so thank you for attending the Halo Talks podcast that we're going to talk about Sweatworks and how this industry is changing and going to the next level. And we got experts behind it, finally. I am excited to be here. Awesome. So you worked at Sharp Electronics back in the day, um, obviously multi-billion dollar company. What are some of the lessons from when you started out to understand like, okay, these are the disciplines and these are how you build products? I think the first thing, well, there, there's two big things there. One is the consumer experience. Mm-hmm. When, I start, when I started at Sharp, it was really about functional, tactical, that's a Japanese mentality. And what happened was over time, a big part of Sharp's business was in components. And one of the projects that we were actually working on was the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And through that and working in Cupertino, working with the Apple team, they are so meticulous around taking out what you don't need, yep. being minimal and starting with the consumer experience first. My mind as an engineer was, let's do functional first. We can worry about the design stuff later, flip it around. So that, that to me is probably the biggest takeaway. Gotcha. And then what brought you into the fitness industry? Was there a project? Was it a personal interest? Was, did you see something wrong and you're like, hey, I can fix that? It was a bit of both. Okay. One, it was a personal interest. So I had my own personal journey. I immigrated here from the Middle East, from Dubai, okay. in 91 to Jersey, right? Okay. And came and I dove all in to Jersey culture, right? I'm talking funnel cakes at the fair. Um, Springsteen? Sp- you got, you got Springsteen, yeah, okay. yes, all, all, all into that. All, everything good about the shore, but I got out of shape, gained a ton of weight, started the fitness journey. Mm-hmm. And that changed my life, right? It, it gave me confidence. It, it just afforded me things that I didn't otherwise have. Got into work, and then I saw a time for disruption, right? So to me, the epiphany was fitness was there. There was programs galore, gyms galore. Everything was available. But why didn't people get it? Why didn't people understand what I understood, which I thought was relatively easy? I wanted to close that gap. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you look at something 
like the fitness industry, I started a software company back in 1999, which was way ahead of its time. Yeah. Now it would be like, you know, the equivalent of like MindBody. Yeah. Is basically what we built. The software and it basically like Salesforce.com meets EDI's private label 1500 health clubs before there was a SaaS. Um, what I realized was after we got into it, no health club operator wanted to put in a $35 DSL line. Mm. And they didn't want to buy a gateway computer. So we, we did everything from their house, not the most efficient way. So when you got into this industry, how did you say, all right, I think I can help, you know, disrupt this, but they're also ready for it? Timing was everything. So I founded the company in 2012. But what happened was in 2009, Fitbit was, was founded about that time. There was a university study out of Ghent University. I don't know if I had a chance to look at it, but Ghent University did a study based around steps. If you gave you a step counter mm -hmm. um, and they gave you goals, right? So one of the goals was 10,000 steps. Another one was no goals at all, just wear the thing. And the third one was goals with the community. And the team that did the most was the goals with the community. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, there's something there with engagement, with quantifying data that then had meaningful change towards behavior. If we can replicate that and mass market it, we have a business. And if I can do that, figure out that model and take it to many brands, we could help a lot of brands and help a lot of people. So in 2012, I started the company. So when you take a look at providing all this technology and this expertise to, you know, basically you're like behind the scenes of like the B2B yeah. crowd. Is there something in your mind that said, I'm not gonna go all in and, and do my own and I'm gonna spread this out almost like an open source, if you will, you know, mentality. Do you think twice about that sometimes? Because you got a big team, you got a lot of revenue, you're like, hey, I'm actually ahead of all these people that want to be my clients. Now they are my clients. Now they're all smart. Yeah. Um, how, do, how do you think about that? Because we, we advise a lot of companies, right? And then one day I'll wake up and I'll be like, why don't we just own 10 Planet Fitnesses or right. 10 Orange Theories? Like, I'm trying to do 10 deals right now. Why not? We could have just done one. That's a great question. So I, th I think the key for me early on is figuring out what am I good at and mm -hmm. doing that really well. There is a special energy and talent that comes with founders of fitness brands. And I think if you're missing that, like if you're missing the good founder story, I don't think you've got a good brand behind you. But when I, agree, I, but, but when I look at fitness brands and I look at brands like SoulCycle and Goldstream who've been around for a long time, even Equinox, they do what they do very, very well. When I look at technology companies that are driven by founders who have a passion for running or whatever that modality is, they know that very well. To me, I was never that instructor or coach or the operator. It just wasn't who I was. Right. So I knew what I did well, which is data, analytics, and building product, right? So I'm like, instead of me trying to go raise a bunch of capital, which was, which was an option, I said, I had my own capital and it would take me this far let me start with this first and see where that goes. Right. So the halo sector of the fitness industry have never been um, big spenders on anything okay. related to what's my monthly fee. It doesn't matter what you provide. There's like a monthly ceiling yep. on what someone's willing to pay for anything. Um, then you've got all the hardware guys out there, you know, selling and it's all coming down to price and warranty. So how did you kind of break through and say, look, if you want this, this is how much it costs and this is how much it's worth and stop telling me that it's too high because you don't know what the returns are if you actually implement this. I, I think that that took a lot of time. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have now been in business for 10 years. And, and I have to be honest, when we started, us going to the store and saying, look, you've got to invest 50K a month in, in a data team or this, you have to invest 200K on this mobile app. And here's why you can't just spend 10K on a mobile app and ship it out to like Vietnam. Here are the reasons why. That was 
an uphill battle. It wasn't until we started having meaningful wins and people could now see that like, oh, wow, look at Spartan Race, a brand that no one's ever heard about now has had 8 million people cross the finish line. Yeah. That's what would you do with them? Everything digital. Everything really? digital from the start. Yeah, so they had no digital program. No one has heard of Spartan. And we innovated there a ton. So the first thing we did with Spartan was I looked at the event space and the check-in and all that. And I'm like, races at the time required you to pick up your race packet the day before. Required you to walk into a shoe store because they were your sponsor. Right, right. Right? And then when you got there, it was like two hours before you even got to the store. It was line. chaos. It was chaos. chaos yeah. Then you finished your race. You're exhausted. Where are my results? It's a paper printout, or you have to wait the next day. Where are my photos? That's going to take a week, and you have to pay 80 bucks for it. I'm like, this model's broken. Yeah. You've got a great experiential brand. You're jumping over fire. You're crawling on a barbed wire. Let's make the photos free, because your consumer is your cheapest advocate. Yeah, right? sure, sure. You don't do that. Let's change the event check-in experience. Show up there with your phone. Right? Do the waivers online. Make it a 10-minute check-in. Make parking organized. So we innovated. And Spartan just took off because it was a race like none other. And interestingly enough, most of the people that did their shortest distance to Spartan Sprint have never even run a 5K before. Hmm. So that model worked. We, we went from there. We then did CrossFit and innovated with CrossFit significantly. A real-time leaderboard, real-time scoring, right? Why didn't people have it? They just didn't understand the event and they didn't understand the technology. So we, we brought the two together. Gotcha. So just, just one went after the other. Yeah. yeah. And when you take a look at somebody coming and saying, okay, I want to do what Spartan Race did. You know, obviously, you know, if you're an ASP or, you know, a SaaS platform, then people know, okay, you're all on the same platform. So what kind of, you know, push and pull did you have over time to say, look, I'm building you a custom platform or look, I have the right to kind of replicate this. Like we used to use uh, cascading style sure. pages. Right, and then the guy from Gold's Gym says, "Hey, the the World Gym site looks just like ours." I'm like, "Yeah, that's why you pay fifty bucks a month for a yeah. club because I'm not building eighty different websites." You know, that's the benefit of everything. So, in this market that's competitive from a brand and from a member standpoint, however, everyone comes to these events and tells you everything that they're good at, what they're not good at, and sharing their metrics like never before in this industry. How have you kind of toggled between? Look, your experience it's going to be amazing. Okay, their experience is going to be amazing, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Let's raise the kind of, let's raise the technology bar and then fight from here. So I think it comes down to where you're at in your own journey and story. Do you want to be an innovator and a market leader and go win capital? Or do you want to be someone who just follows somebody else? The platforms that you see out there, the, the platforms that are productized, typically are coming after custom platforms by about five to 10 years. Right? So if you want to be a market leader, you want to create something. For instance, SoulCycle has their own booking platform. They're not on MindBody. Yeah. Why yeah. is that? Because they had problems that they had to solve. The easy solution would be to say, let's just all go on MindBody. But they knew that they had to do over 800,000 bookings at their peak Mondays at noon. They had five minutes to yeah, do that. It's like $5 million on a Monday for That's like right. three minutes. And you're not going to get that on MindBody, even today. Right, yeah, That yeah. system would collapse. So they innovated and built out a scalable system. And that's what it comes down to is if you're a brand and you're passionate about something and you want to be the market leader and go create that, that innovation, it takes an investment and it takes a team like ours to do it. Yeah. So you've got these teams in place. You know, some people wake up every day and are basically just supporting a specific brand. Yeah. Is that correct? That's right. And then from a standpoint of those companies saying, 
you know, I'm going to outsource everything to you because, quite frankly, I, I don't know how to interview yeah. somebody who has these kind of technical skills. So what are the, some of the other reasons why somebody goes to Sweatworks and doesn't, you know, do, you know, do an in-house platform and, you know, spend a lot more money, haven't, doesn't work, and it's not on time? Well, so I think at, at the crux of it, we are a product innovation agency. That's, that's, that's what we do. And we know wellness probably better than anyone else out there. So we've built this onboarding process. We've got the subject matter expertise and we failed a lot. Like we, we fail every single day, yeah. but that's at our expense, right? So, so you don't have to. But for, for us with long-term success, we typically get brought in to go build out a product. But the longer-term plan is we want you to build that team internally, right? So over time, like let's, let's get a win. Let's get your revenues up. Let's see this model work. But ultimately the brand should take ownership of that. Really? Yeah. And are they hosting with you? Or are, they, are you on like a we're, we're, we're support or what's the... AWS typically or Amazon Azure. So we, we're pretty flexible in terms of where they want to host the, their mm -hmm. application. Yeah. So from a standpoint of um, a lot of software companies in the space, you know, there's a significant amount of venture capital that's come in. Everything's valued at a multiple of revenue instead of about multiples of EBITDA. Which is what it should be. Yeah, right. <laughs> of course it should be. Um that, that game will slow down at some point, but it just hasn't yet because no one's really called them out on mm -hmm. it. When you take a look at what you said before, look, I know what I'm really good at. You know, you got a team of 300 people and you know, you should 200, 300, 200. 200. Um, we'll fast forward a year from now. The podcast will have this little clip in it in 2023, <laughs> 300. And it'll be from like that was from last year. Last year. Um, when you look at it and say, OK, what kind of business do I want to have um, versus what kind of business does the market need? Like, how do you think about, you know, being an entrepreneur and being an owner of a business and saying like, well, if I kind of tweak my business model and my revenue, you know, I might get value more, but that's probably not what people want. So I'm not going to force feed them into something that might look good for my financial, you know, business description yeah. versus hey, if I just keep these customers, you know, happy, they're going to continue to grow. I'm their support valve, right? Yeah. And let it play out. Yeah, so we're looking for long-term partnerships and long-term value. And keep in mind, in some of these brands, we have a stake in. We've got skin in the game, right? So we want to see them win. Um, and it's not really, you know, for us, what is self-serving is seeing our brands grow. Because if they grow, if they can enter new markets, if they can innovate, create new categories, that's a win for us. But the key, th there's a couple of things that I look for. The first thing is protecting and creating a moat for that brand. So we just talked about one that, that, that we're both in. And yeah. we want to protect the moat. So we're looking for IP. What can we innovate and create and immediately protect them by building that moat around that technology or that product? That's the first thing. The second is really being pragmatic. I would say on any given quarter, we probably have four to five projects that come to us where we do a discovery and we are candid and we say, you don't have an opportunity here. So we should not move forward. That's great. Yeah, we just did another podcast where if you're in franchising, you got to say no. You got to say no. You can't, you can't yeah. take those on. What would you say? What would you say? Some of the best success stories are, you know, over the last couple of years. You know, obviously a number of entrepreneurs, you know, flipped towards digital and actually, you know, focused on it, and did it right. There's other that kind of put up some patchwork and now they're kind of pulling it down and said, I don't need to be that anymore. Um, so, what would you say are a couple, you know, shining lights? I think the one that I keep on going back to uh, is is a company called Mix Fitness, and 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 Mix Fitness um, really was an idea out of a family office called uh, Palm Ventures in Greenwich, Connecticut. And when we came in, it was it was really nothing. Like it was really nothing. We met with Brad Palmer, and he said, "Look, I've got this idea to have an unpeloton product, 
right? right? And a lot of what we were building at the time had this leaderboard-driven concept to it. It's a great, let's sit down, but this is how it's going to work. We're gonna make it heart rate-based, right? we're gonna make it for the non-competitive individual, and we're gonna make this inclusive for the everybody. Right. And we're gonna bring the best partners in there, which included Schwen uh, and, and some other partners, uh, such as Polar, into the fold. And by doing that, you know, in from, from zero to 18 months, they had top line revenue of 40 million. Mm. Now they were attractive for acquisition. And that's how Rain came in with Beachbody and that whole acquisition happened. And then six months after that, they go IPO. Yeah. Throw so Andrea Rogers is uh, one of our partners at Extendbar and she just did a, uh, a mix uh, workout for, uh, for Beachbody. Oh, great. So that's, yeah. that's coming down the pike. You know, as, as you take a look at where the industry's going, you know, it used to be, um, you know, you have a new version of, of, of software and now there's a new, you know, upgrade, you know, every week or every month or what have you. Um, do you feel like technology sometimes just gets so ahead of what the consumer behavior is? Or do you have a pulse on, on your end where you say like, hey, that's a great idea. This example would be like the Oculus. Like I would have thought by now everyone would have an Oculus, but the market just kind of just said like, I got enough stuff. I got my phone. I don't need this. So how do you think about when things come to you say, hey, that's a great idea in 2025? Yeah. Yes. I think pre. So I think the pandemic changed everything. When Oculus did over 10 million units in Q4, which I mean for them is like yeah, okay. it's, it's a big number. It's a big number. But pre-pandemic, I would say yeah, technology was a little bit ahead of where the consumer was. But post-pandemic, I think we're actually behind. Really? I think consumers have evolved. Consumers have gotten smarter. Consumers expect more from the tech providers. They're paying more for subscriptions, yeah. and like as has been shown by Netflix, they're not afraid to cancel. Yeah. You know, when you take a look at some of the technology projects you've worked on, some of the groups that now see what that churn is, and they say, well, oh, 8% churn a month. It's like, okay, that, that maybe is a problem, but it's something that you can address, right? And also, you have the ability to communicate with people in person, right? So you have, a, you have an inherent advantage. So do you feel like some of the churn is because people kind of put that on autopilot? Or what, what do you think? That's absolutely it. I was about to jump in there, but it is that. When you build product or strategy, it needs to be dynamic. You have to, it, more than ever before, right? Yeah. Building a good company, building a good product, and then saying, you know what, churn's going to be the same, is no longer valid. You have to have a constant pulse on your consumer on what's going on on the periphery, right, um, that's going to impact churn. So I, I think I, I think it's not like these old George Foreman terms, set it and forget it. That, right. that is not true anymore. Yeah. So what you know? What are you most excited about that either you're working on or that you're seeing at the you know the BFS show or maybe just the mentality of how people are thinking about their business? We you know, we Dave and I kind of became a certified entrepreneurial therapists during the pandemic, just make sure people survived. So what do you? What's the new mindset now? Is it growth? Is it I want to do the digital? I got to take a breath and I want to actually like go back to my bricks and mortar now. Are they bringing in better people to say, look, I'll do the digital, you run the bricks, and like, we'll do this together? I think it's complicated. It's, it's a complicated answer. A lot of it depends on region, where you are, and, and, and your type of business. Mm -hmm. Look, the first thing we recognize is that the consumers changed. Like, commuting. I mean, we're, we're, we're in New York right now. Um, a lot of people, fitness for them was a ritual, right? right they would yeah. commute in the morning from Long Island or, or Jersey or wherever, go to Equinox at 6 or 7 in the morning, and then go work, and then commute back home. That's not changed. Now they're in two days a week, maybe they're not in at all. Mm -hmm. How do you get that ritual back in? So hybrid is here to stay. 
100%. So if you are a boutique fitness brand or you are a brick and mortar brand, that is good for you. You need, because people are craving that community, that in-person touch. Mm -hmm. At the same time though, you've got to see them where they're at. So when they're home, would you rather them engage with you or engage on another platform? The answer is you. Right. And, and then I think brands need to know more about their consumer. Before, it was good that you saw them a couple times a week in the class. Mm -hmm. Today, consumers want the journey. They want you to tell them what to do today. Yeah. You know, I used to go to SoulCycle five or six days a week before the pandemic. And one thing that struck me, they knew my name, yeah. um, but no one ever asked me, you know, what do you want to achieve today? Or like, what's your goal? Right. And I feel like that's such a simple question to understand your consumers, find out what their goals are. That and actually log it yeah. and, and, and get them there. Yeah, we, we had a long relationship with SoulCycle, almost five years. So mm -hmm. I, I was a big rider myself, which okay. I compare notes on favorite instructors. Um, Mantis is, was, is my, is my go-to guy. Okay, okay. Um, and, you know, I think what, to your point, what changed there is now today, it's, you need to understand your goals and you need to track against how you're doing. Because if you don't see improvement, you're going to look for something else. Yeah. We are also dealing in a world today that has more anxiety, more stress than ever before, right? With Zoom calls alone, that, that's anxiety-ridden. Um, working from home, figuring out when you're going to be in the office. Like none of this stuff is automated anymore. We're, we're, right. we're not conditioned anymore. Yeah. So for wellness brands, we've got to understand that and say, how do we address the wellness of our consumers? If you do that, I think there's a big opportunity for you. Mm -hmm. And then in some of the brands that you talked about, they're single modality and they're the best at it. There's obviously other groups that are saying, hey, I'm gonna have this whole content library and they don't have the best yoga instructor. They don't have the best bar instructor. They don't have the best cycling instructor. There's no mode around it, right? So do you tell those people, maybe they're not, they, they don't become clients or do you say to them, you know, be great at something. You're not gonna be great at nutrition, trust me. You know, so, so is there, a lot of people have a lot of, 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 of a library of content, but it's almost like you don't believe that they're the authority in it. Yeah. No, I think if you are great at something, do that and do that very well, but understand what the consumer is doing outside. And we look at partnerships. We look at other brands. Like, for example, if you are a good cycling brand, pick a good yoga brand, partner with them, bring their content in, but ultimately tie together for the consumer. Something that we've been doing lately is if you are, if you like to run, right, and you and you have a spin bike at home, if we know that you did an eight-mile run yesterday and you you, you like completely went all out, here's a good recovery ride for you. Mm -hmm. So driving those recommendations from activities that you do on the outside, but you as a brand, focus on what you do well. Yeah. So to your point there, you know, if I have a studio and I have 300 members, there can be a human element to that. It doesn't need to be like artificial intelligence to find out you did this run. Um, the Orange Theory is when they were having people come back in, in Texas, they took all of their employees, uh, they put them in like a war room like this and everybody had a phone and they were just calling every single member. And then some of these other clubs say, well, I, I contacted everyone through like an email campaign. It's like, well, people don't want to open up your email, they want someone to talk to. Um, so do you feel that even with the proliferation of technology, if you get the proliferation of technology right and you also train your employees to care, that that is that kind of part of the winning strategy, if you will? Yeah, look, AI and machine learning in 2022 for us is the number one priority. But I always say it, it's complementary. Yeah. It's not the strategy. You need to have a human element to it. That is essential. And people know when you're talking to a machine versus when you're getting a personal touch, right? right. So you, it needs to be complementary. Yeah. So, you know, give us some other insight into, you know, what are we going to see? We're going to see holograms. 
Um, well, well I, think, I think the metaverse is a thing. Yeah. I think it's a thing. I think Quest and what Meta is doing with that product is going to continue to evolve. And, and we have an opportunity to, to see what they're doing. And, and it's basically getting smaller. It's getting more lighter. So the application to its wellness is going to be there. Okay. I think the, the key here is we need to focus on this back to the fundamentals, right? It's a great experience. Focus on a good product. Have a good community. And care about your consumer. That Those old adages from... 30 years ago are still true today. But how we approach them is different. Now, the biggest change, which I think smaller brands should start to learn, is biometric data, what we call the third dimension. So before, you were looking at how often are you coming in the studio? Um, Maybe you could book a class on your app. But now, a lot of consumers are wearing robots. They they want to be guided. They want to know, hey, how did this work impact my sleep? Give them those nudges. Walk them through that journey. So I think you're going to see a lot of smaller brands do what the bigger brands did, which is incorporate this, this third dimension of data into their product. Got it. I got the Aura Ring, and it told me to pay attention like yeah. every morning. I'm wearing one now. That's nice. Uh, I don't have mine. It's somewhere in, in, my, in my bed or in my bag. <laughs> okay. every, I'd wake up every day and be like, you didn't sleep well. I'm like, thanks. Thanks for the heads up again. Um, but there's something there, like, you, you know, I think that's a good point, right? You don't want the technology, and I've heard that a lot, by the way, to stress you out even more. You're in an Aura Ring, you're like, you know what, I thought I slept, you know, you wake up thinking that you slept great, you open up the Aura app, and it's like, you slept horribly. Yeah, REM <laughs> sleep, 17 minutes, but you're in bed for eight hours. And in that eight hours, you're sleeping for three and a half. I'm so, like, so I think that, we've got to figure out. Yeah. We've got to figure that out. Yeah. Maybe it's like, do you really want to know what happened? It's like, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, Wait, or maybe it asks you, how do you feel? Great. You know what? Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but I'm not going to tell you. But it's, but it's still collecting the data and, and right, right. So you got any uh, famous quotes or anything that, you know, you kind of live by from all the different experiences and all the different companies I, you work with? Something that I say is, what we say internally is, um, what is quantified is managed, right? So people have this, aversion sometimes to data. And, and I get it. Like I'm not a big leaderboard person and all of that. But subconsciously, if you could put a number to something or display it in a certain way, mm-hmm. you will tend to manage. But if it's like even drinking water, right? Something that, that reminds you makes a difference. So I think how do we quantify things and contextualize it to, to meet where, where the consumer's at? So that's, that's one that we use a lot. Awesome. All right, we'll check back with Sweatworks in 2023. Awesome work that you've been doing. Literally, I've been hearing your name. Like, hey, you got to meet Mo. Okay. Talk about Sweatworks. I'm like, okay, I know who they are already. Like, we're doing a podcast and we're ready to go. Love so it. this is great, man. And I really think people out there that are trying to figure out what they're going to do, you know, look at what some of the case studies you have. Talk to your team. And it's no time to be in the back. So yeah. figure out what you're really good at and optimize. Well, this has been great. Awesome. Thanks good for having to see me on. you, man. You too. All right, buddy.